Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Green light 3-0 and she's gone! Welcome to the 3-0 show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show family. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Bertrolli here with you on this Thursday. On this episode, we are going to take a look into the distant future. We're going to try and predict what baseball is going to be like in the year 2052. Some of our colleagues have already written pieces as part of a, a big series over at The Athletic on this. So we figured, why not be inspired? Why not try and and make optimistic projections for what baseball might look like 30 years from now? Uh, frankly, I've never even tried to do this before, you guys. Like, this is uncharted territory for me. I mean, Britt, have you ever tried to think 30 years into the future about anything? No, but the present is so like bleh that I'm like, let's <laughs> let's create an alternate universe where baseball is going on and it's fun and we can just kick back some ideas, right? Let's let let's go to that happy place. So no, I've never I've never thought further in advance beyond like when I wake up in the morning, I usually <laughs> am like, what am I gonna eat for, for my meals today? But other than that, no. Yeah. My wife is always like, use the calendar, use the calendar. And I'm like <laughs> I hate it. I don't want to look at it. I don't like the calendar. And so that one turns into crap a lot. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I like the idea, too, because these incremental, like you were saying, Britt, these incremental updates on the CBA, uh, they're stealing the life force from me. The blow by blow back and forth on a negotiation that will get there eventually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for the granular updates. That's not... That's not bringing me joy. Uh, thankfully, I've been offline for the better part of a week, so I am very refreshed. If you've been staring at Twitter for the last week, I am very sorry for both of you. Um, you know, it, over at Rates of Barrels, we tried to ban the word upside for a while. It didn't work. Uh, it's pretty tough to talk about baseball without the word upside, but uh, I would like to ban the word disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want to hear about who is disappointed with what anymore. Uh, just tell me when they get it over with. But uh, yeah, no, I, you know, this is this is inspired partially by the fact that uh, maybe uh, you have noticed or you or you didn't notice that this week is uh, sort of a future of baseball blitz. Uh, these things that we do every once in a while where we have a bunch of pieces that have similar themes. And uh, this week we've had. Uh, pieces uh, from Grant Brisby, which was a big part of what we're talking about here. But also, um, you know, I think we had uh, James Fegan on what's coming with uh, robot umps. Um, we had Jim Bowden uh, with uh, with some pieces uh, with some pieces of sort of bold predictions for the future. Um, I, don't, I forget if I've if I've missed anybody. It wasn't on purpose. It's just. Uh, the, the, the blitz is on it. Uh, we'll have a piece. Uh, me and Alec Lewis will have a piece out on Friday about biomechanics uh, and how that relates to the future of baseball. So. so one thing I thought we should do to start is take a look back at what baseball looked like 30 years ago, because then we can start to 
expand our minds to realize how much things can change over the course of, of three decades. So just a quick glance, 1991 versus 2021. We've added four teams in the last 30 years, right? We had 26 teams in 91. We had 30 teams last season. Scoring is up uh, per team game, 4.31 runs per game way back in 1991. We're up to 4.53 runs per game, so runs are up. Batting average down 12 points from 256 to 244. The league OBP down from 323 to 317. Slugging percentage is not surprisingly up from 385 to 411. Home runs way up from 0.8 per team game to 1.22 per team game. Uh, stolen bases, we've really chopped those down quite a bit too. 0.74 steals per team game back in 1991. We're under a half per game. We're at 0.46 now. The biggest change of all, though, strikeouts. 5.8 strikeouts per team game back in 1991. 8.68 strikeouts per team game in 2021. Walks are almost unchanged. Intentional walks have been cut almost half. doubled. Well, it's not quite almost doubled, but it's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then sacrifice hits have gone away too. 0.39 sacrifice hits per team game back in '91, but 0.16 sacrifice hits per team game here. That's just the. That's because of the strikeout, I guess. I think it's because teams realized that giving away outs was a bad idea. Oh, like uh, sacrifice bunts. Oh, so that's mostly bunts going away. Mostly. Yeah. 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 So the changes that we've been pretty aware of, but when you see it kind of stretched out over three decades, you're like, okay, that's a pretty big movement. 50% more homers, 50% fewer stolen bases. Yeah. And just an explosion uh, of strikeouts. I mean, almost was that it's not quite double, but it's, it feels like it's tracking to double without something being (laughs) done. So, I think one of the biggest things, when you think about the future, you think about the, the Jetsons, which probably <laughs> took place around like now, and I'm looking out my window, and it doesn't quite look like what I saw in the Jetsons when I was a kid. But from a tech perspective, I think the one thing that we should have ironed out 30 years from now is ball strike technology, right? We're worried about robo-umps in the short term. They're obviously breaking it in and in various leagues and then trying to, to perfect the technology. Eno's talked about it in the past and said, but Sergio Romo would break a league with robot umps because he would nick corner of the strike zone with an unhittable pitch and the game would be stupid. And I think he's right. But Britt, is it fair to say that 30 years from now, a human being leaning over the shoulder of another human being will no longer be judging whether or not a pitch is a ball or a strike? I don't see how we can't get somewhere <laughs> closer to, you know, I know people are opposed to robo lumps, but I can't, I can't see how we don't get closer to that general consensus, right? Like I think you look at the, we talked about the nineties, you look at some of the strike zones like Randy Johnson used to get and stuff. Um, and that's one thing that really has changed drastically that I don't know if there's a stat for it, but strikes called strikes um, has certainly come into play. I think a lot more um, just because of the technology. You know, people at home now can see in that little box that they put up where that pitch was. You can see it on replay. You can see it on game day. Um, So the technology has kind of dictated a change because viewers at home are like, well, this is terrible. We can't watch this where this guy's getting a foot off the plate. But that used to be the norm in the 90s. You used to earn your strike zone. That was a thing. You were a rookie. Your strike zone was like this. And then as you got better, it got bigger. And you go back and you watch some of those really good pitchers and watch some of the pitches that they got. And e- even today, those standards would just be crazy. Look at Mariano Rivera and some of the calls that he Lavin. got. Yes. And so, again, that was kind of like earning your keep. And I think that, you know, technology has come so far and the game has come so far, the athletes, the fans, uh, the whole thing. that You can't get away the subjective strike zone. Uh, you certainly can't get away with it in – for 30 more years. Yeah, I think that's actually really important what you're saying about sort of we can see if it's a strike or not on TV. I think it's important because some people have said, well, you know, they only get it sort of 5% wrong. Uh, you know, balls called strikes or strikes called balls is only sort of 5% there. Um, and it's part of what people like to do at the bar, you know, in front of the TV is argue about whether it's balls or strikes at the park. However, if the answer is right in front of you, how much fun is it to argue about it? You know, like there's very few calls where, you know, the thing is right in front of you and everybody, you can actually have the argument. The argument's dead. The argument is dead already because 
we have it right in front of us. Even if the technology is not 100% correct that shows us this balls and strikes on TV, like if you're at the bar and you're like, that was clearly a ball and everyone's looking at a thing where it's in the strike zone, no one's going to, there's no fun in that argument. No one's going to take you up on it. They're just going to be like, oh, shut up, have another drink. But uh, <laughs> oh, wait, wait, it's not fun to argue how the overlaid strike zone is actually no, I think it not adjusted be, for every hitter. I, I think it used to be a little fun. Yeah, that, that part's definitely not fun. But I think it used to be a little <laughs> fun to argue about balls and strikes, right? Because you didn't know the answer. Correct. So, yes, that is what made it fun is that right. nobody was right. That's like back in the day before <laughs> Google when you would argue about stuff yeah, and nobody no, could look, nobody it could look it up. <laughs> so there's no winner. <laughs> Lewis Black. 100%. Yep. The Lewis yeah, Black. Yeah, so now that that's out, I think, yeah, I think we're going to move towards that. And, you know, I think uh, Fegan did some of this in his piece, but I think it's interesting to think about like how that extra infielder will act in the future. Like, how will the catcher act now that framing is out the door? Uh, I will, when I was up at driveline, I was talking to, uh, uh, you know, some people that work with catchers there. And we were talking about um, having more of like a third baseman, first baseman type uh, person back there with the good arm. Um, and he might even set up if he's allowed to five feet behind the home plate uh, and kind of be more with like w- the glove hand out and the arm hand ready. Right. So that yeah. because he's five feet further, from second base, he has to be like, he has to get the ball and throw it to second, you know? So he's kind of ready in like, almost like a first base stance. Uh, and I also think that five feet would give him more chance to like sort of recover on a ground ball in the dirt. But other people think they would have to be closer to the dirt because of the way breaking balls hit the dirt and they spin and and what happens with pitches when they hit the dirt. Is the trend of catchers kneeling in 30 years? Do we see nobody squatting anymore? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying they they're standing they're up all, like a third baseman. Yeah, not so none of them are even kneeling anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're standing up like a third baseman. They may tr- maybe trying to be low, but you see plenty of third basemen that play low. Can they handle that physically though? Because the reason that they got off of the squat was because the squat was too hard. Mm. Well, I thought the reason that they're doing sort of knee down, leg down was to get low strikes for framing. Yes, but it's also easier on your body mm. than getting in that squat, like squat, like. Buck used to always say, every time the catcher squats, squat, play a game, tell me how you feel after the game, Um, (laughs) which I've never actually done, but maybe would make a good story uh, someday. Uh, (laughs) We did flip a Super Bowl coin like 170 billion times or something. So I think think someone should (laughs) do a catcher squat story. I think somebody should just squat every time a catcher squats, but that also it it does um, help save their knees, help save their legs a little bit. That's right. Um, That's why I even have those little pads that, that those little extra pads between their, in their knees that those like, they almost sit on those pads a little bit. Yeah. And a lot Uh, of old old catchers get real salty about guys now being on their knees. But I think, you know, I think, you know, if I'm asking a guy to get low, like a third baseman and I'm, I'm talking like, you know, not lower than most now, like there's like Carney Langsford used to be like super low. Like I'm talking about like a low third baseman, I think that wouldn't be as bad as squatting uh, all the way on your knees. I think that would just, I think that wouldn't be too much to ask. I think we would see a lot more offense from the catcher position. Um, Mm -hmm. And because game calling uh, in a large part has been planned out by uh, the front office, the analytics, the R and D department, the advanced scouting department, they have, you know, these, these cards on their hands that, that give them a lot of their game plan. Uh, So if you take calling and framing out of the window, blocking people like to talk about blocking but blocking is not that important <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't actually happen that often um and uh, and it doesn't let a guy get to first base unless there's two strikes you know what i mean so there's a lot of blocking balls yeah. that don't matter so until you maybe again two strikes you get down on the ground you know hmm. but yeah. until there's two strikes you're in that sort of first base position because you don't care the ball goes flying you know oh yeah is that rule in 30 years, do you guys think that rule exists? Because yeah. nobody hates that rule more, more than every pitcher. The, the third strike <laughs> Yeah, I struck him out. Why is he on first? Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think that uh, could – and there's also aspects. like If you start doing a lot of offense out of the catcher position, that would make a big difference because once pitchers stop batting, and it seems like that might happen like this year, then catchers will be the worst hitters on the field. And then if you make it robo lumps and they don't have to frame and they don't have to call and blocking is not that important, you could really put your rowdy Telez, you know, back behind home plate. Yeah. What sets apart catchers then, right? Because for so long that has separated catchers for clubs. So then it just becomes who's the best offensive catcher? 
game I mean, calling can still be important. Yeah, game they don't calling. really call the games though. Tang, Tom Tango talks about um, uh, about about targets, uh, about like yeah. you know catchers giving good targets. But you know, there's a lot of t- teams right now that are going to one target for their pitchers. Like tar- I think targets are kind of overrated. So uh, I don't know. I think it would be it would be the best offensive one. You know, calling. Um, you know, maybe you have some smart ones back there that act like a manager on the field and switch from what's on their chart and says, you know, let's call the slider here. I know it says, you know, fastball or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think it would, it would be calling and offense. So who would be the best in the game today? Uh, it would still probably be like Buster Posey. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there's some guys... G- JT Riomoto doesn't always show up as a great framer. He might be the best catcher yeah. in baseball today if there was robo arms. Does it? Here's my question, to you guys. Then does it lengthen the catchers now, like their length of time in the game? Imagine the Yadier Molina who doesn't have to squat and do the things that he did. How long that guy plays for thirty years, right? Buster Posey would not be retiring this year if they had robo arms. Yeah, I think you're right. Hmm. So then does that parlay into catchers now get long-term deals? There's like ripple effect to everything, right? Like, do they now more get longer-term deals? More catchers in the Hall deals? of Fame? More yeah. catchers in the Hall of Fame? Like, exactly. Like, more, you know, people now want to catch because it's not this, like, shortened career, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's very interesting to think about that, right? Like The weird thing is, in spring break, in spring training, you're still going to need, like, six extra catchers. <laughs> yeah. So it's always, there's always an opportunity to stick around baseball if you can be a decent catcher because they need bullpen catchers, they need spring training catchers. They, they organizationally, you need to have a catcher. Like, so they're, 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 that, I think, might still stick around, but uh, not the same way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Catching machines for catching spring training. Machines for spring training. Put a machine oh, down there and have it just, oh, just no. you know, arm sling, throw it back. I, I think that could that could actually work. But you know, the other tech changes, everything has this impact on on field play. Any sort of technological change you make changes how the game is played. Then you see it borne out in st- statistical changes over time. Sometimes you get those unintended consequences and. I think about something like that, uh, catchers not being in the squat, and I wonder how does that impact stolen bases that are already you know, a problem, and what other changes are going to accompany these these uh, technological changes that might make it easier for stolen bases to come back. They've already experimented with larger bases. Larger bases, therefore, become a little closer together. That shortens up the distance, makes it more likely for teams to actually be able to successfully steal. If you can successfully steal more often, you'll run more often, so you bring back steals that way. But if you change the way catchers are playing, that might completely erase all the other changes that you just made. So I'd have to that's why it's hard to make all these changes simultaneously. But you could see a progression where the stolen base gets even more extinct and then comes back or more endangered. And then it comes back and, you know, because people miss it. I could see that being the case. Other other changes on the field, though. No, no, let's stick with the stolen bases for a second. I think this is really interesting because you can make the the bases bigger and then you've got the the lefty pickoff move they're trying to get rid of. That thing where the the left-hander... Andy Pettit, it's done. Yeah, it looked like he's going all the way home and then last second he kind of just throws it over to first, you know? Uh, So they're trying to get rid of that. So those are two things that are pro-stolen base and and I'm totally into it. Um, but, uh, yes, if the bat, if the, if the, the catcher is now just selected just for his arm and his hitting ability, then you're going to have some rifles behind home plate. Uh, and then on top of that, um, what I want to do, and here's, here's my galaxy brain thing. 
Uh, and I, what I think will actually happen is we will start changing things on the field. Grant Brisby talks about changing the mound and, and, and changing these things. We will start changing the field's dimensions and it'll be awkward and there'll be things that we like and things we don't. And it'll, and we're, what you're talking about, like we'll figure, we'll, we'll figure out that's all the unintended consequences of what we change. But here's my idea. Andrew Perpetua has, has, has shown this idea. You draw the foul lines to the back of the umpire, the back of the batter's box instead of to the plate. So you add basically five feet to 10 feet of infield on each side. Ooh. Now that really helps with balls in play. Uh, and uh, you can still leave the home run poles where they are if you want to. Uh, so it might not increase the amount of home runs. Uh, but you've, you've got this new foul ground idea, but something, then you got to do something about stolen bases, right? Cause now you made things longer, right? Longer, now you made yeah. the base pass longer, uh, unless you leave the base pass inside foul ground. That'd be super weird. I think so. Uh, what I suggest is double the size of the bases and reduce the size of the baselines to like 85 feet. Here's the thing though. So with all of these changes, like if you're going to try to make stolen bases a little easier and stuff, and you're going to make the bases smaller, double plays are going to be a thing of the past. So guys who are sinker ballers who can get out of innings on one pitch also becomes a thing of the past because it's going to be much harder to double up guys. Right. So there's always That's this true. ripple effect now, if you think you of it. So now, feet, yeah. Correct. And so you're, you're placing an emphasis, you're making it easier to steal bases. So teams are going to often go to second base much more often than this stationary game we're seeing now. And how often do we see, you know, a rally ruined by a double play, right? So now right. you're going to lower the double plays. Um, what impact does that have on Could be a ton staff? of offense, right? Like we yeah. just made the field really big. You know, and uh, and we made the bases big, and we made the we just screw the pitchers. <laughs> We're just really screwing the pitchers here. There's going to be a lot of base stealing, a lot of balls in play. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thought, uh, and that's what I've that's what I'm talking about with these sliders on these things, right? Like we do these things. We're we're trying to change these little, it, it, like push these little sliders left and right. And uh, every once in a while, we're like, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's undo that one. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's the same way with like moving the mound back. We could find that like uh, everyone's basically becoming a Sergio Romo type where there's they've moved the mound back and there's robo lumps. So everyone's just trying to do that thing like that blitz ball. You've seen blitz yeah. ball or like wiffle ball. They're all just trying to do shape some really strange ass pitch that'll just come in and nick a tiny bit of the strike zone. And the hitter's like, What? <laughs> what's what's interesting too off of Eno's galaxy brand idea is that you add that extra space now you place a premium on first base which is often one of the weakest defensive positions mm-hmm. uh, on that person also being able to field the position right well because i think now, that could be good i think you you would be you would be putting an emphasis on defense that could be all would, right that'd be which all is right. fine but it changes like that oh this guy can't play the field let's stick him in first base type of thing right. now you do have the dh and we know the dh is coming right but does that Give us a new prototype for a first baseman because he's essentially going to have to be just as nimble as third base. Third base yeah. even more so because they're having even even more. But I think for a long time we've kind of been like whatever, you know, first base is kind of whatever. They just throw guys over there. Um, it's going to place a lot more premium Maybe Now on- catchers will be where you start to throw people. <laughs> right. Like right, I can't feel. Put him in, like, put him DH catcher yeah. first base would probably be the, the order coming from the bottom up. If you yeah. if you redraw the lines to the back of the batter's box, as Eno is suggesting, I do like this idea because it opens up a little more space in the field. It doesn't radically change everything, but it, it creates necessary space. Are you also making changes or adding limitations on how shifting works? Because I feel like that becomes less important if you expand the infield on both sides that way. It's true. I think it does make it less important because you just got to, you got to cover all that space. You know, yeah. you can't, you, you can't take the third base. Like, for example, if you take a lot of times you take the third baseman over and you put him as the Rover uh, in right field, right? That's like the Manny Machado mm-hmm. where you take the, you take yeah. the third base and you put him in, as a Rover in right field. Now uh, there's nobody be- between like second base and, uh, and third base or, or, or nobody, that close to third base, you could be talking about 80 feet of just uncovered space out there. Yeah. And I think it'd be a lot easier if you're thinking about bunting. Bunting is not easy, especially when they're throwing really hard. But 
if you have 80 feet of space, it's a lot easier. Than so you're bringing back the bun. Yeah. Yeah. You might bring back the bun. Hmm. Cause I think the related question to any rules on, on shifting is just can hitters evolve to the point where shifts are just less effective than they are today anyway? Like it's, it's harder than ever to hit big league pitching, but whether it's technological changes in how hitters train or improvements to bat technology or something else entirely, is there some other way for hitters to start to make up some ground on the pitchers without making the field wider or without moving the mound back? I mean, which again could have some unintended consequences that you know suggested. But Britt, can we see hitters start to close the gap a little bit if we're reaching a point maybe where hey, the human arm has its limits? And uh, I think Grant in his article pointed to maybe like 105 being the the velocity where you might actually hit a ceiling and yeah, you're going to have more and more players throwing 95 to hundred than you ever did before. We already have that. Maybe that number keeps growing, but do hitters have anything they can do to counteract what's happening on the mound right now without rule changes, opening things up? Yes, because I think the hitter technology is still behind the pitching technology. Um, I think the pitchers were out in the forefront of, of these advances and the hitters are starting to kind of catch up now. Um, I, I do disagree with Grant on the, the arm has its limits because I think if we go back to the nineties and we told people, Hey, guys are throwing a hundred. They'd have been like that. That's not no way guys. Arms are blowing out. There's no way guys are throwing that hard. Um, so I, I think what you're going to start to see maybe is a cap off of velocity, but nastier movement. Um, you know, more break, more, you know, different pick, pick, people talk about pitches differently and they will in 30 years. They talk about pitch characteristics. It's already happening now. Guys don't talk about just fastball velocity anymore. They want to know about the characteristics of each pitch. Um, and this is definitely more Eno's realm than mine, but athletes are getting I'm nodding. better. <laughs> yeah, he is. Athletes are getting better hitters and pitchers every year, they're getting smarter, they're getting faster. So I don't think we've hit the limits of human potential yet, not even close. I do think hitters are going to close the gap just because, like I mentioned, they were behind the technology. The pitchers really embraced that first. It was way ahead. And I do think there's going to be some middle ground here. Uh, but I don't think that the pitchers are just going to be happy with where they are and kind of level off here for a little bit. I think you're going to continuously see, and you're already seeing guys train at just a ridiculous level at driveline and tread and cressies with these really advanced techniques where they're getting feedback every pitch. And they're working on just like these tiny little incremental changes uh, that are going to have a big effect on the mound. And you're going to see guys work on that at the lower levels. You're going to see that infiltrate into college baseball, into high school baseball. These guys are going to continue to get better. I think we're just scratching the surface of the of the whole technological advance. I think it's infiltrated quicker than anyone could have imagined. So I do think the hitters have a chance to make up this gap. Uh, but I don't think that the pitchers are going to just stay status quo. I think there's going to be a little bit of a catch up by the hitters and then they're going to all continue to move up together. If that makes sense. Yeah. A hundred percent. I was nodding along to all of that. And you know, my recent trip to driveline in this piece that I have coming about biomechanics, I think biomechanics are kind of um, you know, the bellwether for where we are because about half the teams in baseball have fully embraced, you know, limb tracking and getting information from that. So there still are teams that haven't really uh, jumped all the way into that pool. And then if you just look at uh, how many pitchers do the mocap, the motionless capture, you know, get in their underwear and put the sticker stuff on. It's mostly the pitchers that are doing that. When I was there, Lars Newtbar uh, got in there and, and did it for a second time so he could compare uh, the before and after because he's been training at driveline. But if you just look, there are like two hitting cages and there are like 25 mounds there, you know, and that's not by accident. They always made their name as a pitching lab first. The hitters are starting to catch up. But even when I looked at a biomechanical analysis, like we looked at a biomechanical analysis for pitcher and everything felt more like, hey, boom, this is this is your problem here. This is a D minus here. This is a C minus here. We're going to do these three drills. Boom, you're gone. This is good. Next one, you know? Yeah. Whereas with hitters, you know, I went through the appraisal of, of Lars Newtbar with his trainer, uh, John Sotoropoulos, and we looked at 
the different movements and stuff. And he, and I said, well, that looks red. And he's like, well, there are some pro hitters that are okay with that deficiency, you know? And I was like, well, that looks red. And he's like, yeah, that could be, uh, you know, so we are going to focus on that one a little bit. I was like, what about this thing? He's like, I don't think that's a big deal. So they're feeling their way into, uh, you know, the, the link between how limbs move and how, uh, how things move in, on the hitting side, they're kind of feeling their way into where I think pitching was maybe three, four years ago. So, you know, even with this new technology, um, you know, even the ones who say they're going to use it. And I would I would say that when I talk to pitchers, more pitchers are using this technology to get better uh, and hitters like I will talk to uh, hitters and say, you know, you know, have you worn a K vest, which sort of tells you if your limbs are moving generally in the right in the right direction. Um, Very few older players have a lot of the players coming up through the minors now have. Uh, but very few veteran players have. Whereas if I talk to a pitcher about, you know, his vertical movement or his sweep or his carry or whatever it is, like they're, they're like, boom, right there with me. So I think that just speaks to what I think that, that was just sort of underlining everything Britt just said, that that's the generally, uh, but the hitters can catch up. I mean, I think that that gives them the chance to catch up a little bit in this technological revolution, but maybe the pitchers are just always going to be a little bit ahead. You know, and they're always just going to have a little bit more, be out more on front. Maybe with this biomechanical analysis, we cut down injuries a little bit. We get everybody up to like 97 to 100. Um, and then the big the big change will be, yeah, movement and command will be how pitchers separate themselves once everybody's sort of pitching 95 plus. It just, it sounds like the way this is going to progress is since we're already at a crossroads where we need to do something to change the offensive profile in the game it, because it seems to be easier to develop and accelerate pitchers it's easier to do that than it is to make hitters amazing like obviously there are swing coaches there are guys that have transformed their entire careers by making some adjustments but it it seems easier to develop a corbin burns than a juan soto right now like that's that seems like the world we live in Here's here's something that, that, that yeah. people don't agree on. In on the pitching side, they agree that velocity is good mostly. In the game, if you're working in the game, people are like, yes, velocity is good, right? They don't agree in the game right now that bat speed is good. There are still some people that think bat speed doesn't matter. So the same you have weighted bats, like you have weighted balls for pitchers, you have weighted bats that yeah. you can use to improve your bat speed, and people are like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. So like that's, that's exactly behind on that. That yeah. seems I mean, I, I'm by a, far from a scientist, but it does seem like bat speed is kind of <laughs> important to the important. equation in, in hitting baseballs very hard. So if you create this situation where elite pitching or very good pitching, flamethrower, nasty, pit, nasty pitching is abundant and guys who can hit nasty pitching are extremely scarce, you're creating this weird landscape where Juan Soto, you know, future $500 million player is like literally a one in three or a one in five type player. And the bottom half of your lineup is going to be a bunch of guys that cannot touch the quality of the pitching you've developed. So you're going to have these really weird, maybe quicker games because guys are just going up there whiffing uncontrollably because they can't keep up with the quality of the pitching. It, it just sounds like, like we're at That's a point interesting. where they're like, yeah. they're like just really defenders. Like you just have like really good defenders at the bottom that just can't yeah. hit. Like pitching's taking off faster than hitting, so the gap's going to keep getting wider. And unless you can find a way to actually keep hitters on the same trajectory, like the gap, the problems we have now are only going to get worse. And they're going to have to make a series of. That's why we keep later. talking about like changing the Changes. game, changing the yeah. actual, yeah. you know, changing the field or changing the mound or whatever. Because, yeah, because actually yeah. hitting a ball in fair territory is really hard right now. So you have to make fair territory bigger if if you keep making hitting the ball harder, like that's just the way it has to work to keep the game back. The game needs balance. Otherwise it's not fun anymore. So I I agree. Huge problem. Yeah. So they do have to change the rules. You're right. Cause there probably is no catching up. And those like defensive minded, like lightweight hitting guys have largely been phased out of the game. If you think about it, like 20, 30 years ago, you know, teams had a lot, a lot less pitchers and they had a couple bench guys. They had guys that were just like defensive guys and that was fine. Um, But in a world where, you know, more than half of the team is pitchers. You know, you can't do that anymore. Everyone needs to be able to to hit. And so I don't see the game going back to that at all. I see the game adjusting to accommodate the offense because 
home runs are exciting, right? We we know this. We've been through stages of offense. So we're balls in play, and we're yeah. missing those, you know. Yeah, the game needs offense. What's crazy, guys, is we're talking about 30 years from now. Juan Soto will be out of the game. Every single person that was drafted will be out of the game. We'll probably be retired. I mean, just think about it. It's just crazy to think about. Like, what will baseball look like? Will we be in our little old folks' home, like, yelling at the TV screens? <laughs> That's why I'm saying that, like, it's 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 possible it's not even drawn the same way, you know? And, yeah. like, you know, the, the, ba- the bags are twice as big, and it just looks it looks weird, but... Uh, you know that that has actually changed the least in the last sixty years, right? Yeah. The feet. baseball, yes. And here's the thing that I think the NFL does really well is they adapt the game. Like the NFL realized, hey, we're a pa- passing's exciting. People love quarterbacks. They love offense. Let's just change the game. The NHL did this years ago when they changed the rules um, around icing in the blue lines. Like let's make this a more fast paced game and baseball has been the slowest to adapt i think to a lot of these rule changes i think part of it is like the america's pastime it's been around forever like it's an institution you don't have that as much in these other sports uh but there needs to be on-field changes i think to change the game i think we can't put the rabbit back in the box now right like technology isn't going away the way teams draft and develop isn't going to change you have to change the actual playing surface you have to change the game somehow you're going to change the product one little piece of pushback i have though you know those changes in the nhl and nfl have not largely changed the way the lines are drawn on the field or the the size of the field right correct but i mean in the nfl every every and say the nhl they're all the same thing baseball every field has different dimensions baseball yeah, has an incredibly unbalanced schedule um so it's always i'm also thinking about the youth i'm, I'm also thinking about like if you change the size of the mound right now or where the mound is right now, are you paying to change all the high schools and colleges? No, because there's a different baseball in the majors. There's different, you know, they use wood bats versus metal bats. You know, there's still different. Just be an adjustment anyway. Yeah. The minor league ball is different than the big league ball. Right. Yeah. You just change the professional stuff. So entry level minor league stuff is different. Maybe college could mirror the big league field size mountain well think about the robo arms thing like think about catchers in in college then right you know, youth they, catchers they don't have, have to do something yeah yeah and then the, yeah. Then, the, <laughs> then, we, then we don't care about that in the pros you just have a lot of college catchers that were really good catchers and the pros are like well you well, can't hit well it's always it's been like, tougher to evaluate though because in college a lot of the stadiums don't have that second or third deck which is the issue you run into in spring training right or fly balls fly out of there because you don't have like the extra towers like you do oh. in the big leagues like managers talk about this all the time like so if the, stuff so if the wind is blowing out in a spring training game a routine pop-up is a home run whereas in big league stadiums they have the second and third deck you talk to outfielders all the time playing just change the wind flow. playing the outfield in spring training is incredibly difficult because they can't gauge anything because mm. they're not used to playing in these tiny stadiums so there always is going to be that jump and that difference in evaluating a high school pitcher and what he's going to do in a big league situation, right? There's always going to be that change. I think no matter what you do to the game to some extent, right? It's never the clean jump. Um, So I don't know. Good point. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to ask a, a broader question focusing on just like the structure of what this league might look like 30 years from now. Mm. How many teams are we going to have in 2052? Because we tend to hit expansion about every 20 years or so. You get some kind of changes. The, the current group of owners needs to bring in some more money. Franchise fees do that. And you expand the new markets. It seems like we're getting two new teams maybe within the next decade. Eight to 10 years doesn't seem out of the question for a 32-team league. But if we go... 30 years into the future, are we up to 34 or 36 teams by then? Has the game grown to the point where we have that many more teams than we have today? I mean, there's always a hunger within a sport to grow. And there's always, you know, there's always an opportunity to capture more TV market and get in somewhere. But, I, you know, there, the, the number of markets where there isn't already, you know, a football team or a basketball team that you're going to run up against in the, you know, in competition for that entertainment dollar, uh, that that's running out. I mean, it's just, you know, even the even the, the names that we're talking about now, Portland uh, is probably the cleanest that you'd be up against uh, soccer for most for the most part. Uh, Charlotte, Portland and Charlotte are, are clean in terms of that. But Vegas has a football team now. Um, and those are the, and Nashville has a hockey team. Uh-huh. Uh, so those are, those are, uh, the, the, the prime candidates. I, and I think the reason they are prime candidates is you're not running up against the NBA, the NFL. Uh, those are good markets, TV markets that are not captured right now. Uh, but I don't know, I, you know, without seeing like a massive amount of population growth in some part of this, this, the country that we haven't thought of yet. Uh, those are the those are the four markets that seem most likely to me. So that would put us at 34 if we did if we had all of them. I mean, there's Montreal, yeah, yeah Mexico, 36. Mexico would be cool. Um, Vegas has a hockey team too. They have the Golden Knights, so they have That's football right. and they have hockey. Um, and they also would- probably one of the worst places to expand into. Personally, you know, I just think that the the, the number of people there is not large. It's not a growing p- uh, population. It's not a young population. It's not a. It's it, transient. It's, a, it's transient. It's a one. Uh, it's a it's a one industry uh, town basically in terms of who's going to pay for your uh, your your suites and your in your advertising. And then on top of that, it better be a dome. <laughs> better be a dome. Yeah, I do think Carolina would do okay because, like, there's not outside of the Braves, like, there is kind of a lack of teams in that general area, right? Um, and baseball is big in that area, so I do kind of wonder what they yeah, you do. You could okay do like there. Durham to stay away from the the Hornets or whatever, but yeah, there's a well, lot even, of there's a fair no. amount of money in Charlotte too. There's like there's a yeah. fair amount of money in people. You know, there's a there's a whole corridor there, the the Charlotte Durham corridor there. Raleigh, that whole area is kind of populated. And like, even if you have an NBA team there, to me, that's almost fine. You could put the baseball stadium right near there and people get all excited a little downtown. You know, it's they not. They don't play too many months. They play like two months about at the same time, basically. No, a lot of yeah. the supporting the adjacent businesses would be, I would assume, happy to have more game days for another sport kind of on the other part of the calendar. So that that definitely makes sense. I guess part of this question is is well beyond my pay grade. Where are people going to be moving to over the next 30 years that they're not moving to now? Like now it's places like Denver blew up, Nashville blew up. Okay, what's the next phase of that? Are people going to move north? They're going to go live in, in parts of Wisconsin that I thought were too cold when I lived there because that's where the temperature is more comfortable. Are people going to start moving up to like Duluth, Minnesota? <laughs> it is like, is this what's going to happen? Is this the future? Yeah. And and then could there be Canadian expansion in, in places where they have NHL teams, right? I know the hockey in, in Canada, Canada is just different than baseball, but what if you had a team in Edmonton? What if you had a team in Vancouver? What if, like, Just kind of all along the Canadian border. What if that ended up being your expansion? Or what if we actually grow the game to the point where we're talking about independent ball being a more viable option too like how how does that play into the future and and how does that play into who's a part of major league baseball and who's not and how does that possibly limit different options for major league baseball because there already (laughs) is baseball somewhere else from another league 
Yeah. And like, here's the thing. It's like hockey has three teams in the New York, New Jersey ish area. Right. Why does it, could baseball support a third team? The Mets and the Yankees. I think they could Yeah, bring a team back to Brooklyn. LA, LA, yeah. New York seem like they could, they could almost have third teams. Um, yeah, I do too. Here's the elephant in the room. We didn't discuss it. Uh, not everyone agrees about it. Climate change. I mean, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like you said, yeah. 30 years into the future, we're all retired. And I, I hope I'm retired in 30 years. But at the same time, 67. Eh. We're retiring to the Pacific Northwest because everywhere else is too hot. I thought Northern Saskatchewan same. maybe would be the place. Like, yeah. So, so same, baseball. you know, I'll see you there. <laughs> Could, I, and, and the funny thing is that I think the way humans work with this and uh, I, I'm trying to dance around politics here, but the, the way that we work is that we just make things work. You know, like even though it'll be hot, we'll what we'll do is every team, every stadium will be a, a dome and uh, we can't water the grass anymore. So it'll all be fake grass, even though it's a dome, you know, and uh, I think we'll probably find a way to kind of engineer our way into a lot of living in a lot of the same places we live in. Uh, but there are places that may just not work anymore. So we may think, oh, we're going to have 34 or 36 teams. Well, we may have to relocate Arizona, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's like already a desert. Because it's already Chase Field spontaneously combusted in the year 2041 <laughs> in the Great yeah. Grease Fire. Like, <laughs> someone crashed a truck of grease into an In-N-Out burger and it burned down Chase Field. And they're like, we can't fix this. this well, is, I mean, it's uh, already I've, right. I, I've been outside. I, I parked and I had to get uh, it was at a strip mall. And everything's a strip mall in Phoenix. And I had to go uh, I had to go 10 doors down to the, the, the place we wanted to eat lunch. I was there in the summer with my mom. And my flip flops melted in in ten doors. I'm not even talking about like a full block. Yeah. It's like a half block. My by the time I got in, I was like, "Why is my feet sticking to the ground?" It was because my flip flops had melted. So if that's happening now, 2052. I don't know if we can we can have a team there. <laughs> we can improve sandal technology in the next thirty years. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. We're just going to engineer our way yeah. around it. Yeah, we'll we'll totally. put higher grade rubber on the bottom of your sandals. You know, you'll just, <laughs> just you'll just wear, wear like Michelin's bubbles on our heads that are like yeah. air conditioning our like, heads. Yeah, <laughs> all the pave, all the pavement will be cool. You know, like heated streets. You know, they'll be just like <laughs> cooling streets. Yeah, yeah. it it is interesting though. Like Wyoming, Montana. Do those become like metropolises? And we're like, oh, I got to put a team at Old Billings. God, that place is blowing up because there actually is a lot of dead spaces like the Dakotas, right? Where you actually, if it was populated, these are big states yeah, where they, I don't, they know. don't dry up. I mean, to me, I would think like sort of Vancouver, uh, you know, southern parts of Canada, uh, you know, more teams yeah. up there. But uh, I was yeah, surprised uh, in my move across the country driving down I-80. There are miles and miles of what looks like completely untillable land in those states uh throughout yeah. northern nevada wyoming where you just look and you're like wow you couldn't get w with industrial equipment i'm not sure you could even dig enough to possibly farm it's, there which is why it's the way it is i think it's basically desert right it doesn't look like what you think of as desert i i, I encounter yeah. this when i drive through uh arizona parts of utah you know i do the southwest a lot because that's where we go on vacations and i'm looking around i'm like yeah that looks like a plant but is it really <laughs> edible? Is it going to get watered? No. Yeah. Is it really alive? And is anything out here alive? This is pretty much desert. So, you know, you you fry off those last few plants, and it'll it'll be actual desert. I don't know. I I don't know if it'll happen that quick. But I I uh, I have uh, I have this one thing to think about. I, I think about it a lot when I see how much water is used at a baseball stadium. Yeah, it definitely seems problematic given the the greater concerns in play here. What do you think future postseasons look like? Because this is obviously uh, an issue already. And as the league expands and as we think about different ways to make the playoffs better in the long run, how much does the, the playoffs that we have now resemble what we're going to have 10, 20, and 30 years into the future, right? If we're not expanding the league that much, and we get to a point now where we're saying, okay, we're going to get the 32 teams in the next 10 years, maybe the next 15. Half the teams are going to make the playoffs like a lot of other sports, NBA, NHL, play like that. NFL just expanded their playoffs. Is that it? Is that the last iteration of playoffs? I mean, you could have little twists. Like, I like the idea of higher-seeded teams getting to choose their opponent. I like that. Pick the team that you think has the greatest weaknesses. 
call them out, get them, and maybe lose to them, which would be really embarrassing for you as the team that wanted to play them. But I, I think that adds at least an element of fun to a right, larger right. postseason field, which yeah. just seems like an inevitability at this point. Yeah, I, I think the number of teams might be capped at half, but I think you're going to see like, I think that you need to see changes to the postseason to make it more fun and dramatic. Um, I mean, the NFL playoffs, right, were some of the most exciting games we'll probably ever see in our lifetime. And Jason Stark had a great column about, you know, what baseball can learn from this. And there were some great points. And one of them was like, start the games earlier, um, which I think we've been yelling about forever. But, you know, I think there needs to be some changes with the way the postseason goes. If it's going to be this like dramatic, exciting time, um, the picking the opponents is another one. You know, I, I think there needs to be some rule adjustments, you know, maybe the playoffs plays under a slightly different set of rules. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure we would all hate that, but I think it could also make for some really exciting, dramatic games. And I think baseball needs to find a way to get there in the next 10, 20, 30 years, or they're just not going to be a sport that's watched. Like it should be watched during the world series. No, I think you're right. A lot of the uh, innovations we've seen have come from the playoffs and some of the innovations people don't like, like openers and bullpen games. Some of those have, you know, come from playoff necessity, uh, but people really like to have the starting pitcher they know, you know. And so if we do have anything that changes how we can use the roster, um, you know, for a given game, I think that could be really important for the playoffs. Like I'm talking about you only have five pitchers available for this game. You know, limits on yes. how many pitchers you can have available for the game. Now you can't do the full bullpen game. You gotta, you gotta have somebody that's gonna be bulk. You gotta, uh, you, you gotta think about things about getting through the game with who you have, as opposed to, you know, we're just gonna unload the whole staff and there is no tomorrow and blah blah blah. And we get these really, really long games, with lots of pitching chains. Everybody's coming through. So limits on pitchers, and then um, maybe some stuff with buys. Um, and I like choosing your opponent. And then there's uh, Korea has these interesting postseason rules where, like, you know, if you are the second wild card, you have to win two games. If you are the first wild card, you have to win one. So it's like a best of, it's a best of three sort of. But like the if the if the if the favorite wins, they're it's over. But if the uh, if the second wild card wins, they have to win another game. They have to you have to you know have to repeat. So. Um, I don't know. That's that's kind of a fun way. We have to bake in, and this is why it's important. You have to bake in an advantage in the postseason for teams that did something in the regular season, or regular season doesn't matter anymore. And then we're yeah. playing 162 for no reason, and 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 then it doesn't matter how you build your team because you can just be mediocre and make it in the postseason, maybe get lucky. So I do think that no matter if they do expand the play- playoffs, even this year, they need to make it important to win your division. Maybe you don't even play in the first round if you win your division. Yeah. You know, you, you can't even lose in the first round. So that sort of stuff will help the players in the CBA agreement, but also I think help uh, the regular season matter, uh, and even in the face of, of half of baseball making the postseason. So there's a, a pretty interesting number here. It's number of pitchers used in games on the chart from year-over-year on baseball reference. In 1991, 475 pitchers appeared in the game. Again, 26 teams, but still a pretty reasonable number, it seems. 475 pitchers pitched that season. How many pitchers appeared in a major league game in 2021? You can have the first guess, Britt. Oh, God. (sighs) How many appeared in a major league game in 2021? Yep, we had 475 back in 1991. How many do we have last season? It's going to be in the 700s. No? My guess is in the 700s. My guess is, yeah, low sevens. Let's say let's say 705. 705 for Brit. How many do you think, Eno? 875. Well, you're closer based on prices, right, rules, and pretty close altogether. 909. Ooh. We had 909 Whoa. pitchers. I was oh going to say 890. I was going to say 750 and thought that was too high. Yeah. yeah. That is a ridiculous number of pitchers to appear that's in why, games. That's why it matters. They're talking in the CBA right now about limiting the number of options. Yeah. Because you can't then basically have an extra reliever that you just option up, option down, option up, mm-hmm. option down, you know, put them on the, yeah. on the highway to tri- triple A. Yeah. 
So, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of it. Injuries. Injuries uh, were a factor. It was a big jump. Years. Big, big jump uh, yeah. in 2019. I mean, we had 831 sure. back in 2019. So... Yeah, between sticky stuff, enforcement, and uh, and the shortened season, and then maybe this lockout, you know, yeah, the injuries are going to be pretty bad. So that's Even, to me yeah. a weird thing that has to change. I like the idea. I forget if that was you or you know or Britt that said it, but five pitchers max in a game can appear. And if you if you if you need to use more, like let's say you give the fifth pitcher a hook because of injuries, or any pitcher during the game. It's like 15, an emergency pitcher. It's a fifteen-day IL stint automatically, and there's no yes. there's no way to bring him back early by having someone else get hurt. So and like, you lose your DH for that game, I right? Think. You could you could have some pretty Something stiff like penalties that. on there. I mean, yeah, like, just from a, then, a like, roster manipulation standpoint, you, you have more hurt. I mean, yeah. it's it's just like that. There's an active roster in other sports, right? That's a full roster and an active roster for a single game. So yeah. you could say, yeah, we'll even give you extra spots on the roster. Let's say we give you 30 roster slots, right? Right? Because you're you can't option these guys up and down as much. So we're right. going to 30. They stay. They travel with but the team. The you game, know they're you there. Have 15 players. Yep. And you have to declare them and all 60 minutes before first pitch. We have to know who's all available. Pictures or something. One emergency pitch, two emergency pitchers. You know, maybe yeah. maybe you get one if it goes uh, to to eleven innings, and you get a second one after that or something. I mean, it's not that hard to come up with these rules. They sound crazy, but like, you know, just think beyond like what you've seen forever. You know? Yeah. Can we have regular season ties added to baseball, or would that make everyone's head explode? If it's tied up <laughs> to ten, can we just say it's tied? They do it. I wrote <laughs> I wrote this column because everyone hates on ties, but honestly, it wouldn't change too much in terms of like actual outcomes and what it would do is eliminate a lot of like injuries, like the extra innings that are played um, just really wreak havoc on guys, you know, like the 18 inning games crush guys for two, three days. Bullpen. So, yeah. yeah. So like I am a fan of ties because I think that you're, you're reaching diminishing returns with some of this stuff, right. With these guys playing these like 14, 15 inning games. I didn't Um, hate the extra inning rule. You know, because I it got games over with earlier. Yeah, I just again, if if this is like a sixteen game season like the NFL, I understand you need a winner. But when you're playing hundred and sixty two games, like if ten games a year are a tie, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's really not going to ruin anything if that's how no. things play out. So just so that's it. To think that's about our future of baseball. There's ties. Half the teams <laughs> get in, but they get buys. You know, you got 15 players, five pitchers for the game. The field uh, the is bags, bigger. The bags are twice as big. And Catchers maybe, aren't squatting. The whole maybe, thing. I love it. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe this, like, this is not dystopian. I mean, to some, it, it might sound dystopian. To, uh, to me, that sounds like you might actually create a game where athleticism is is really important. Being able to defend is really important. We bring bit defense back in. The ball in play is recovered. You have to cover more ground, and uh, and there's more balls in play, and strikeouts go down, and we don't we don't hurt her- homers too much. Like we yeah. might sort of get some of the old aspects of the game that were good, and, and include them with the new aspects of the game that are good. Yeah, I'd love to. If you've made it this far, listening to us, tweet us. Let us know. Like, do you have? Do you have? You hate things it. You hate? you hate it. Do you love it? Do you have specific examples? This was a fun episode. We should talk about like made up baseball more often. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I do like made up baseball or you know, made ball. up games about baseball. Yeah, Blurns yeah. Ball. Blurns yeah. Ball is the real future of baseball. If you haven't seen that episode of Futurama, uh, watch that one. It's a pretty good one. There's some some familiar voices in there. Uh, by the way, while I was researching for this episode, I was looking at run scored per team game, of course, throughout history. And I sorted to see what was the highest scoring year in history. And it goes all the way back to 1871, 10.47 runs per game. That was back when, if you played for the Philadelphia Athletics, you could carry your bat around the bases and hit anyone <laughs> in your way and just keep running. So that's oh, what let's I bring that. Let's bring that. Some people were stabbing people in the outfield. <laughs> yeah, that was like, the, like kind of an Oyster Burns era where you could actually get stabbed on the field by a teammate. Wasn't it always like when you were like, "Hit it here. I like to. I like to pitch here, please." <laughs> right. That that era of the game. So. Some pretty wild stuff if you go back to the very, very early days of baseball history, a place where I should spend more time, especially if we've got a little extra time on our hands for the next few weeks. But uh, if you'd like to tweet at us, you can do that. He is at Eno Saris. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. I am at 
Derek Van Riper. You can always drop us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Still you know, goes to us and we can pass that along for the 3-0 show. Maybe we'll get a 3-0 show email at some point because I need more email addresses to check. That would that would really get the juices oh. flowing. And one last thing that we need is tweet me a sign-off phrase. I'll swing oh, through yeah. Them. Yeah, don't do one today. <laughs> no, one Just, liked, no one liked that. Thanks for hanging out. So yeah, gonna, so when I say that one, when I say goodbye, just just let it be. Uh, but yes, <laughs> and be sure to hit the like button if you're watching this video on YouTube. We'd appreciate that. You can always leave us a question underneath this video. We'll try to get to those on a future episode as well. That's going to do it for this episode of the 3O Show. The Athletic Baseball Show is back on Monday. 